else live. Dun, da, 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 da. Back by popular demand. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is... What is today? It's Monday. I believe it's the third Monday of the month, if I'm not mistaken, which means it's time for Healing Spices with Dr. Sunil Pai. This is episode seven, and he's going to be talking about ginger, horseradish, juniper berry, and something I never heard of called kokum. Please welcome him back to the show. Thank you, everyone. It's been great. I've been taking a little break, but now we're back with our part seven of the healing spices. Yes, today I am going to talk about some interesting things. Ginger, which most of us know about. Horseradish, I'll tell you some interesting and unique aspects of horseradish. Juniper berry and something, unless you know if you're from India or you have a lot of South Indian food, uh, something called kokum. All right. Now, what's happening here? All right. So, Again, I just want to uh, reiterate where a lot of this information is coming from and things that I'll talk about directly and indirectly. It's coming from this wonderful book uh, called Healing Spices by Dr. Agarwal, a good colleague of mine, and he covers all these things. So I've just been summarizing his book. I've been taking some anecdotes and also adding my medical uh, expertise in inflammation. I wrote the book in Inflammation Nation. So please, these are both available on Amazon or you can get it through our store, sendjevanystore.com and get a signed copy if you would like. But you know, remember, the key to optimal health is eating a whole food plant-based diet. And uh, however, the most important aspects of the diet is actually getting the herbs and spices. That actually makes the food more medicine, and it actually makes it more tastier. And so I'll just give an example. Uh, this weekend, I was actually attending a uh, an integrative oncology course, this three-day course. I was online. I couldn't, I couldn't go physically in person. And they had all these, you know, MDs, naturopathic oncologists and everything, you know, for people from South Africa and all these different places around the country and around the world, you know, who are, you know, pretty much famous. They have clinics and they have, you know, we're following evidence-based practices and data. However, with the whole conference, which was very interesting, is when it comes to the point of diet. So even though they were evidence-based on like maybe this therapy, IV, or this drug or off-label drug or, you know, or this nutraceutical, for example, when it came to diet, unfortunately, uh, you know, when I was giving the, the ranking or the the, we, you know, we have to score them afterwards, right? Like uh, for, for your CMEs, I got a, I gave them thumbs down. And it's because they all come to this place where even if they're a natural doctor, they still come from this place of, well, you know, if someone's got cancer, then just let them eat what they want. Or more importantly, let's not make it difficult for them. But I think what the difficult thing is that people were getting like hyperbarics and, uh, you know, IV therapies and, you know, they were doing surgery and chemo and radiation and they were getting all sorts of things, either natural or conventional, which is difficult, by the way, but they always tend to shy away that it's difficult for the patient to change their diet. But it's not. It's just that most of the doc doctors themselves at these conferences are still pushing what we consider very old and outdated information on paleo and ketogenic diets. And for example, cancer patients or chronic disease patients, which we now know what the overwhelming evidence will show is incorrect and actually more harmful to their health. And again, it's because the physicians themselves don't want to change their own diet. So I always challenge that because, you know, one thing is that we're really good, you know, even a lot of the integrative docs or holistic naturopaths uh, or naturopathic oncologists are really good. However, they tend to shy of looking at the true evidence. And I told them, why don't you just go to this conference over here, the International Conference of Nutrition and Medicine, which I welcome all of you in Washington, D.C. to come out every August public can go to this. It's a, it's a three-day conference. It's all plant-based, world-class speakers from all around the world who do the actual studies uh, at all the universities. And you'll learn so much about how to reverse diseases. And again, I'm hoping to get into one of these uh, conferences to speak about spices as well. So today I'm going to talk about four spices. And the first one I'm going to talk about is ginger, which is one of my favorites of all time, probably one of the most popular spices that is used on a daily basis in addition to garlic, for example. And, you know, ginger is what they call the quieting, that queasy feeling. Now, ginger has a lot of benefits, right? And most of us know it from a digestive standpoint, just from a general standpoint. Nausea, nausea for surgery, nausea for post-chemo motion sickness, morning sickness. So a lot of like, you know, that queasiness, it's the master thing for lowering any kind of nausea, arthritis, asthma, heartburn, cholesterol, stomach aches, heart attacks and strokes, migraines and cancer. I'll explain a little bit about this in the next slide. But when we look at ginger, first and foremost, I want to always remind people it's a rhizome, it's a root product. 
So anything that's a rhizome or a root, you really want to try to get organic as much as possible, particularly since ginger predominantly now is, you know, it's grown in India, uh, which is one of the largest countries, but then also a lot of it's coming from China. Uh, and also a lot of it comes from Hawaii now, uh, but you still want to make sure that it's uh, organic because it is a heavily sprayed commodity, particularly when you look at supplements, when you look at uh, spice powders or things that are kind of pre-packaged now, you can get, you know, ginger uh, extracts, you can get ginger slices, you can get them in jars, you can get ginger powder, but you really want to look at organic, 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 because it is a heavily sprayed pesticide herbicide uh, food product. Now, one thing about ginger is one of the important ingredients, you know, like when I talked about turmeric or, you know, uh, the turmeric root, which I'll get to towards when we get to tea uh, on the on the spices. And we have something called curcuminoids, right, which is like kind of the super superman or the Wonder Woman component of, the, of that plant. And in ginger, it's called gingerols. And so the gingerols is the active, really, it's like the, the, I mean, there's hundreds of different compounds in all plant medicines, by the way, and all plants, fruits, and vegetables have dozens and dozens of, of key players. But when we look at like, which is the star player, right, kind of the quarterback in the way of of the team, uh, gingerols is the one that has the anti-inflammatory, the antioxidant, antibacterial, antiviral, probably pretty much anti-disease component. And so when you look for a product, aside of eating it fresh, which I'll talk about uh, in a minute, when people buy it as a supplement, uh, you know, a lot of times people like to buy ginger powder. It says ginger extract or ginger powder, 500 milligrams, or just says ginger. If you have a product that just has ginger on a, on a label, it's better for you just to eat the ginger itself, like just actually cook with it. You know, you can juice with it. You can chop it up and make a tea. I mean, you get much better gingerols and anti-everything effects when you actually have it fresh and from the real food rather than if you just get a powder. Because the powder in the capsules, uh, if it's not standardized to the gingerols and stabilized, then it actually has really little potency. And so you'll see tons and tons of products out there, you know, that are even copying our Bosmeric product, uh, which is the flagship of, you know, uh, curcumin, Boswellia, ginger and black pepper and a bilayer sustained release. But if it doesn't have gingerols, then it's not really uh, potent. And then the gingerols has to be standardized. The highest you can get is 20%. We provide that in our product, but it's best if you don't see anything that's standardized to gingerols, particularly 20%, then just really be eating it. Like it's a waste of money in our opinion, uh, and you get better aspects of getting it directly from the food. So let's talk about the benefits of ginger. So first and foremost, let's talk about the nausea, the morning sickness, the motion sickness, because this is one of the most natural, simplest things that actually the FDA has approved for nausea in pregnancy and nausea in chemotherapy when cancer patients are getting treatment. So this is really interesting because, you know, FDA doesn't talk about anything really about foods or plant-based diets or, you know, and it's really hard to give pregnant women, you know, anything because of the side effects potentially uh, to the mother and the child. But more importantly, ginger is one thing that goes back for thousands of years and as of use. Um, and we can make it as a, a, a capsule or we can use it as a ginger tea or even ginger candies. Um, as you can see, you know, even with motion sickness, a gram of just ginger, 35% longer time to develop nausea. So when the studies would take these people, put them on boats and people had like severe um, motion sickness and they would, you know, have them score these, you know, the, the nauseaness and the vomiting and this kind of the dizziness, the terrible feeling that they would get. And they would now then the next time they'd go on, they would in the same motion sickness, then they would just consume a little bit of ginger ahead of time. And the, the key to all of these things is that if you can get some of this ahead of time, particularly if it's on, if you have motion sickness, I'm going to go on a boat or a plane and I travel or I'm going someplace or I'm driving in the car, I'm getting a little, a little queasy. You know, now if you're not pregnant, you can take the bosmeric. Actually, that would be a great thing to do. You can drink some ginger tea. You can even have ginger candy or ginger chews or, you know, they have even honey and ginger crystals that you can get at the health store. Anything ahead of time to get it into the system, why there's a little bit of a, a decrease what they call vasopressin, uh, which is one of the, the theories about ginger and the lowering of this motion sickness issue. Post-surgery, great. 1,000 milligrams decreased 31% post-surgical uh, motion, uh, sorry, uh, nausea. And chemotherapy is excellent. And we always try to have people take it prior to the chemotherapy. So when my patients are sitting there and they're getting their chemotherapy, in addition to sometimes taking the Boston America ahead of time, 
you know, in, in the system, some bilayered uh, eight hour sustained release. I have them bring like ginger tea, you know, or ginger crystals uh, in honey and water. It's easy to make. So some people who don't want to, you know, cut the ginger, boil it in a tea, or even they sort of like, you know, a little ginger juice with a little honey and stuff like that. I'm okay with that. Uh, that is one of the best things, you know, when they look at all the research and we have tons of anti-nausea medications that I recommend my patients when they get, you know, uh, treatments, but the ginger is like overwhelmingly, it becomes the lifesaver and it's tasty, it's delicious and also has anti-cancer benefits, which we'll talk about, has also uh, anti-inflammatory benefits. So really getting it from the food from that type of standpoint is great for nausea, morning sickness, and motion sickness. Now, as I talked just right here for the cancer patients, breast, lung, prostate, skin, bladder, kidney, pancreatic cancers. I mean, there's almost every single type of cancer that there's some type of ginger study. Uh, it lowers inflammation, it lowers what they call NF-kappa beta. If you look at... Um, uh, my book, I'll talk about that's one of the major inflammatory pathways in the body that triggers a systemic cascade of hundreds of different pathways. And now when, when cancer patients or autoimmune patients get these uh, biologics or immunological agents that are like you know, very specific, they're at what they call NF, NFKB blockers. So you can actually help this with curcumin does that, Boswellia does that, Ginger does that, black pepper does that. That's why we put it in the bosmeric. But you can have this from the food every day. It, it activates tumor suppressor genes. So it helps with you know, stimulating the patient's immune system to actually help um, prevent cancer growth, right? It downregulates genes involved with metastasis, meaning the spread of cancer. So when you look at long longevity and you look at, you know, People who eat live the longest, you know, ginger is one of the, you know, ginger and garlic. There's like, there's like a handful of, of um, spices that even when you look at the blue zones, right, depending on the diet and all, there's still certain things that they're eating also regularly in all these different cultures because they have these health benefits. And there's almost not a single dish uh, in an Asian restaurant or any, any restaurant that doesn't really have a little bit of a, you know, ginger in there. It's, it's a really common spice. Now, for the anti-inflammatory aspects, it's fantastic. So, you know, it lowers osteoarthritic pain, rheumatoid pain. Uh, people can increase their walking, their distance of walking before the pain onset is in. Again, we provide the 20% gingerols so in, in our bosmeric. But a lot of people forget, like, you know, we think of it just as a stomach issue. Like I take it for my nausea or it's good for digestion, for example, but they forget that it's an anti-inflammatory and that helps with inflammation everywhere. And, you know, commonly most people have joint pain. So it's one thing that is safer than any kind of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. We always want to avoid ibuprofen and the Motrins and the Advils and all those naproxens and endomethacins. They all have black box warnings. Nice thing is that ginger doesn't have any. So again, when you look at it in a supplement, if you're taking something, you know, 20% is best and we can provide that for you. You know, also a lot of people think that ginger, since it's kind of pungent and it is a spice, right? And so especially the fresher, the ginger, the hotter it kind of gets, the spicier it can get, but it does not cause ulcer. So that's the misconception that a lot of people have like, oh, I can't have ginger because it bothers my stomach. Well, maybe they're not used to that, the, the kind of the pungency. You can always decrease the amount of the ginger in their recipe, for example. But what it does, it actually helps inflammation in the stomach. It helps uh, decrease bloating and belching, and actually cuts the gastric emptying, meaning the stomach, you know, it takes some time to digest food, but it actually helps decrease it by half, meaning it kind of speeds up the food. So when people kind of are eating a lot of food, it helps with improving the digestion rather than having the, the, the food kind of sit there. Um, in the back of my book and the Eden notes, we have what they call a ginger recipe. And the ginger recipe is something that I learned uh, when uh, I met my partner, Maureen, uh, at the Chopra Center in the early 2000s when I was doing some training with Deepak Chopra and we're doing a lot of Ayurvedic medicine, uh, there was something that they used to do that we still do is called a ginger elixir. We would get um, uh, uh, lemons, right? You can get like a bunch of lemons, like four to six lemons. You can get uh, a large ginger root, like three to four inch ginger root. Uh, and then we can add some honey. Uh, we add some black pepper. Um, and then you, you, know, you, you blend it up, you make it into a tincture, and then you take an ounce prior to the uh, meal. And it's a great digestive agent. It helps stimulate the agni or the fire in the digestion. So when people have slow digestion, it's something, and again, it's a little hot. It's got pepper in there, black pepper, right? It helps with nutrient absorption, but it's also anti-inflammatory, right? It's got the honey to kind of balance the sweetness of it, the ginger and the lemon, which is great for stimulating digestion. It's a great thing to use. Uh, and you can just, you know, make, you know, make a big jar of it and shake it up and then just have a little bit prior to meals, particularly uh, those people have digestive issues. 
Now it has with that anti-inflammatory benefits, it's great for uh, migraine headaches. And so it does substantially in the random, I mean, they did an analysis. There's so many studies that have been done on um, ginger and migraines that they actually did a, a meta-analysis study where that they take all the different studies, right? Because there's, there's dozens of them. And it should, and that just came out in 2021, lowers pain substantially by two hours and lowers nausea and vomiting. And for us, what I always tell my patients, since we have 20% gingerols in the bosmeric, and we have a 20 minute onset of action and an eight hour sustained release. For those people who get the early, um, what they call aura symptoms, when they have a migraine, they get changes in smell and sensation and dizziness and light sensation. If they take that bosmeric immediately, or they start drinking some ginger tea, uh, or, you know, then bam, they can, they can prevent that uh, peak of that migraine. Also great for asthma. Again, you know, just hundred, 200 milligrams. That's not much, uh, uh in the studies uh, showed that it lowers, uh, asthma. So when, again, when we give an anti-inflammatory like bosmeric it's for like all these things, asthma, migraines, arthritis, cancer, your digestion, and it just makes the food taste wonderful. It's easy to keep. It's easy to store. Also, it's been shown to lower cholesterol and heart attacks. So, you know, for the cholesterol, it's a little bit of a higher dose, you know, a thousand milligrams. Again, these were just studies that were using like, you know, products. Um, but, you know, you can just eat a lot more uh, uh, ginger in your diet. It, it still will help lower your LDL and increase actually your good cholesterol as well. There's not many things that increase good cholesterol. So um, you reduce your bad, you increase your good and it decreases platelet aggregation clumping. Now, one thing I always want to mention that everybody says that, you know, ginger might be a, a blood thinner. It doesn't thin the blood. It lowers the inflammation that makes the clotting easier. So that's why when people eat a plant-based diet, they have less issues with clots. When people ate a plant-based diet, they had 76% less complications when they got COVID of developing the inflammatory cascade of even developing clots. And when people took, like we had a randomized double-blind controlled clinical trial taking the curcumin with the black pepper, you know, when people were in the hospital with COVID, uh, that actually helped prevent them from having this inflammatory cascade and developing clots. But it doesn't thin the blood. So always, I always want to clarify that because everybody gets worried about, oh my God, it's thinning my blood, it's thinning my blood. That's what they hear. The doctors always think like garlic and ginger and green tea and all our blood, you know, omega threes are blood thinners. No, they decrease the inflammation that lower the platelet aggregation, which is what we want to do rather than say, for example, taking an aspirin. So ginger has a lot, a lot of benefits. And again, I can name hundreds of these things, but, you know, from ginger drinks to ginger candies to, you know, ginger ale to ginger tea. I love ginger butternut squash uh, soup. That's one of my favorite right now, you know, kind of going into the fall and the winter. And of course, you know, for the holidays, everybody likes to have some gingerbread and all. But, you know, most of all Asian food you'll see uh, and, you know, you know, other other culture foods, ginger's used a lot. And so here's a couple of ideas and some ideas. When I have these also slides, you can just uh, Google some of these names of these um, dishes and you'll come up with recipes. And sometimes I'll just type vegan and I'll, you'll see a lot of these come from a lot of vegan sites that I, I've kind of taken some of these pictures. And, and so definitely, you know, uh, go to those and you can learn a lot about how to incorporate some of those foods into your diet. It complements with almost everything. That's why it's like a universal food, allspice, you know, cardamom, chili, cinnamon, cloves, and you can read the rest, coriander, cumin, you know, curry leaf, fennel, garlic, mustard seed, onions, parsley, all the way down, you know, to turmeric and vanilla. So it's a great thing. You can use it with almost everything, pairs with it, and it complements everything. So, you know, chutneys, and you can put it with pumpkins and, you know, sweet, but a lot of the potatoes and, you know, a lot of the, the, the Asian stir fries and the Asian dishes always use gar uh, uh, ginger, for example. And so I incorporate it every day. One thing that people uh, forget about, ginger can grow very easily. So you can just get a, you know, get an organic uh, ginger root, you know, and uh, about two, three inches. And uh, once you cut it off, you just put it in some soil, you know, some good, good uh, potting soil, and uh, just keep it moist, you know, water, keep it moist. And in, uh, in about three, four weeks, uh, five weeks, you'll, it'll grow. And you start, so then it just grows a couple of inches, and then you cut it off and stick it back in the ground. So you can kind of grow, grow ginger very easily uh, in a pot uh, in your backyard, or in your house. Uh, it's not, it's not that difficult to do. Now, the second spice today is horseradish, okay, potential uh, potent uh, infection fighter. Now, horseradish is very interesting. Um, it goes back to about, it goes back many, many centuries, but in the 15th century is where it started coming up a little bit more popular in, uh, you know, the Americas uh, and also in England. And it didn't really hit to the, the United States until the, the mid 1800s. And in fact, you know, Heinz Corporation, I have a little picture here, which is, you know, historic issue. Uh, a lot of people think of ketchup, 
But the Heinz first product was actually horseradish. It was actually their family recipe. And they were the people who invented the use of the, or the, not invented, but really popularized the use of putting things in glass bottles because at that time there was a lot of adulteration uh, in food products. They didn't have like, we didn't have the regulation of uh, FDA at that time. And so a lot of companies would fake uh, horseradish and, you know, with all sorts of other products and other things. And so the whole concept of the glass bottle, even with the ketchup and all this stuff from the Heinz company was that they wanted people to see the product to make sure that it was real and it was solid throughout. Um, horseradish comes in two ways, though. It has a wonderful, beautiful uh, leaf part to it. So, you know, the interesting thing is when we see it in the store, usually it's chopped and we just kind of get the root. But you really, when you actually grow it and you see it in the fields or someone's, you know, yard and they have it growing in pots, it has this, it almost looks like, you know, very large, um, you know, like a green leafy vegetables. And that's also very important. So if you can incorporate some of that, it has actually some other benefits uh, of um, health. Horseradish has a lot to do with infections because of that kind of pungentness. Uh, so bronchitis, ear infections, uh, GI illnesses uh, due to E. coli and staph, uh, influenza, sinus, strep throat, urinary tract, heart disease, and cancer. So again, when you look at it at the store, you can buy, they'll, they'll come like this. A lot of times they'll come now with a sauce, you know, with all sorts of other things. I like to get you know, in a glass jar, just horseradish, you know, shredded or, or cut up or just get the root itself. Uh, but when you can, you know, if you go to the market and get the leaves, you can actually cook it like green leafy vegetables. It will have that pungency. So you want to have a little bit less. But here are the wonderful benefits of horseradish. Now, <clears throat> now, they use this a lot. And what I like about horseradish, similar to like what people think of wasabi. And interesting thing, when we get to W, wasabi, you know, later on, we talk about wasabi. They're completely similar but different, meaning in America, about 99.9% of all wasabi that someone gets in an Asian restaurant, say sushi, you know, that little, little green stuff that we put a little ginger, we put a little wasabi, and it, we're supposed to take it's really pungent and spicy, is that it, it's not wasabi, it's horseradish. Right, because wasabi is super, super expensive, and where they grow it and how they grow it is really, really unique. I'll talk about that in a future episode. But when you want to look at it, it's horseradish, it's really easy. About about eighty-five percent of horseradish that is grown is grown in America and stays in America. We love this stuff because we love to put it on rubs as a marinade, as a you know. A, a lot of times it was used on animal protein. That's what they were using it for. Uh, but as a spice to it, right? It's like a, just a, as a as a food uh, condiment. But the nice thing is that I recommend it because, you know, even with upper respiratory infections here and urinary tract infections, when you take a little bit of the horseradish, as you all know, it will clear out your sinuses. It's really kind of very strong and pungent. But anytime someone's sick or anybody's had a little bit about an allergy, you know, so taking a decongestant, I just tell them, get a little, get a little horseradish or if they had wasabi, but usually they'll go to the store, they'll even buy wasabi, else they'll be horseradish. And they just take a little bit of that, you know, make some food, you know, Asian food if you want. But if you want to just take it as a medicine, you can just kind of shave it up and, and take that. Excellent for colds, clearing congestion, thinning mucus. Okay. So there's actually uh, in Germany, there's actually a German medication where they actually take the compounds from horseradish and they actually give it to treat uh, urinary tract infections. So it's like a prescription and it's made from horseradish. How cool is that? Um, it does have high antioxidant, anti-inflammatory activities, particularly rutin. And a lot of people think of like lutein or rutin. Uh, these are uh, different uh, bioflavonoids. Um, but it's in the leaves only. So that's where like when people can eat the leaves and steam the leaves like a, a green leafy vegetable, you're going to get that high, high antioxidant effect. It lowers inflammation as well. Now, even the German uh, Commission E monograph. So that's the kind of the group that like looks at herbs and then they create a monograph for the country saying this is safe to use. Um, great for respiratory infections. And it has this allyl isothiocyanate. And that's the component that is the natural antibiotic and antiviral. And in fact, they actually isolate this and they put it in this German medication and they put it in a pill and they sell it. Now, it is great for cancer. And the reason why it's good for cancer and also preventing cancer is because it has 10 times, remember, 10 times more glucosinolosylates, uh, which produces isothiocyanates, right? Now, this is the, the component that we always talk about with broccoli. You know, the, the health part of broccoli, these are compounds. And later on, they, they produce sulforaphanes and other things in the body. But when we look at 
the horseradish has 10 times more of that. So you don't have to eat as much. So that's what, you know, it's pretty pungent. So have a little bit, you know, shave a little bit, you know, put it into a cream, put it into a soup, put it, you know, you know, cut these things, have a little bit of this into your diet. If those people, especially who can't tolerate broccoli, who have an allergy to broccoli or this bothers them, uh, this is something and they want something a little bit spicier, uh, it is great. And in fact, the higher the dose that they consumed of these, the more uh, it decreased the cancer weakness. So 68% uh, lower cancer growth in colon cancer is 30 to 71% in lung cancer. So, you know, eating these kind of foods as medicine, um, it's not the sole treatment of these things, don't get me wrong, but these are things that patients can easily do. And that's why people who consume these things actually have longer uh, lifespans with less of these conditions. It also has a component called sinigrin, and that's actually uh, a part that is a, a diuretic. So it can be very beneficial for urinary tract support and people who have water retention problems. This is something that, you know, hey, I don't want to take diuretics all the time, but I can eat something regularly in my diet, get a little swelling of my ankles and stuff like that. Or when they have a urinary tract infection, it has a little bit of the antimicrobial properties and it also helps with flushing. Right. So that's very beneficial. So think of like whenever you're sick, if you're not someone who likes to eat horseradish or has incorporated it in a regular basis, then just kind of use it as a medicine. Like, oh, I'll have a cough, a cold, have a urinary tract. Um, I got some congestion or allergy. Definitely try to take some in for a couple of days that will help relieve some of those symptoms. And one interesting thing that I found out, which I didn't know, it actually has some natural bleaching properties. So actually there's a whole, again, I'm not on the web <laughs> looking at these things, but I, I was looking on the web. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know all these people were using this, but, um, and there's studies on this where there's a chemical uh, natural agent in the horseradish that actually, you know, when people blend it and they make it into a cream or a juice, they can put it topically. You know, when we have like dark patches or, you know, patches that are not, you know, to make our skin more uh, smooth and, and, and even with our, our tone, uh, some of us have, uh, you know, some, some patches. Uh, instead of using these uh, dermatological agents that can cause worse problems that they have, the lightning agents, as they call it, uh, that they provide in uh, dermatology. This is something that you can put naturally. Uh, again, I don't know all the data in terms of how to apply it and how long, but usually they usually said, you know, blend it in some kind of cream, put it on the face, you know, five to 20 minutes, and then rinse it off, do it once a week, and it slowly will help with lightning. So that's kind of a cool thing with horseradish. Um, and, the, and the word that horse is because in England, they would say that it was really coarse and kind of like strong, like a horse. <laughs> so it's like, so it's kind of like horseradish is where the, that term kind of came into existence. So a lot, a lot of dishes you'll see, I mean, obviously in America, you can, oops, it's upside down, but uh, you'll see it usually comes in a, 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 some kind of sauce or, a, you know, a condiment, but I, you know, it's really great. I, you know, horseradish pumpkin seed pesto. I found a recipe there. Fantastic. That's good. A lot of people think of it Bloody Mary, right? Cause that's, you know, I just came from Vegas recently, a couple of weeks ago. So I saw a lot of people drinking those and they probably don't have real horseradish in there, but uh, they, that's what they put in there to make it a little bit spicy. And then you can see like a lot of potato dishes. It's one of the things, you know, aside of, you know, some of the meats, but, you know, you can do it on vegan meats as well. But potatoes is one of the things, uh, since it has that warming, that kind of nice uh, flavor, that spiciness to it. And even like, you know, soups is, is a great kind of mixture to add that little bit of a pungency to uh, horseradish. And again, it pairs with basil, black pepper, celery, fennel, mustard seed, parsley, rosemary, uh, sesame seed, and sun-dried tomato. And it complements a lot of things. And you can see it's usually used as a rub in a lot of these things. And now, again, I, originally, you know, here in America, they were eating a lot of animal proteins. I still put it on my, 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 my vegan substitutes, by the way. Um, but you can just have it as a condiment, you know, with the potatoes and other things that I mentioned before. Try to bring that into the diet, though. It's, it's a really great go-to. And since it's a root, you can usually get it in the store. Harder to find the leaves as a green leafy vegetable. But if you go to more of the farmer's market or you go to a place where they actually have, you know, more of the full produce section, uh, you'll be able to try some of that and definitely try to incorporate those into the diet. The third spice today is juniper berry, which is a natural di diuretic. Now, it has all sorts of benefits. And, you know, I just wanted to put a picture of the, you know, how it actually looks on the bush or the tree. It looks like little berries and you'll see it like this when it comes out, you know, in the store will come in a jar you know, be uh, purchased and all. I always recommend people to purchase juniper berries rather than, than go pluck them unless they know their trees is because there is certain juniper berries that can't be poisonous. So just like the mushrooms, you know, unless you know what you're doing, then, you know, try to stick it uh, to the store bought or go to the farmer's market, for example, but it has benefits for arthritis, cancer, uh, cold sores, uh, diabetes, infections, heart, uh, 
a heart failure um, due to the diuretic effects, blood pressure, again, diuretic effect, uh, kidney, liver disease, menstrual cramps, interesting, and urinary tract infections. So when you talk about juniper berry, a lot of, a lot of people think of gin. That's what they make juniper uh, gin from is juniper berry. So that kind of that bitterness of that flavor of gin or gin products, uh, that's the juniper berry. Uh, and so it does have this really strong diuretic effect. So that's why when people sometimes it's not, not just the alcohol, but it's what the alcohol is made from is actually having them to go uh, to the restroom quite often because it is a diuretic. It does stimulate the kidneys to produce uh, fluid. So again, during a urinary tract infection, not only it has the antibacterial properties, but it has the diuretic properties. So horseradish and juniper berry. Wow. You know, if you go back to my other um, lectures, I talked about urinary tract infections with some other spices. I think what I'll do at the very end, when I finish all the spices, I'm going to go through and kind of collect all the spices for different kind of diseases. And then I'll do a lecture saying, you know, here's all the ones. And so hopefully we'd have finished the whole catalog. And then we can go kind of from a disease state. Like when you have this issue, these are the spices. So I might actually do that to make it kind of interesting and fun so that you can then have like kind of your medicine chest at home. That's actually from the farm, uh, F-A-R-M pharmacy that you'll have in your home. High blood pressure, again, so that it shows that it works very similar to amylordoride, uh, which is a natural uh, prescription diuretic. So again, has that strong effect, particularly when you get it from the real juniper berry. It has been approved by the German Commission E for indigestion. It has antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. And in Turkish traditional medicine, which they use this really heavily because it grows in that region of the world, they use it for bronchitis and colds and fungal infections and rheumatoid and menstrual pain. So these are things that I always like to listen to because like, you know, again, we might only get the exposure here like, oh, it's in a beverage or it's in a cocktail or something. But we have to look at all these cultures where we're using the, the full plant uh, and the food as medicine. And so kind of go back and think, wow, this is what, you know, so if someone's having menstrual pain, yeah, you can take a bosmeric, but, you know, can you cook with a little bit of uh, juniper berry? Yeah. Uh, I have a cold or a flu or have a urinary tract infection. Why don't I just have something with a little bit of juniper berries? Yes. Uh, there's some early data in cell culture that it does uh, have some uh, a decrease of uh, cancer cell growth in the breast. And there's also some early data in cell cultures and, and animal studies showing that it may be helpful at lowering blood sugar. So uh, kind of a neat and interesting thing is juniper berry. I've seen a lot of recipes, you know, for those things that it goes really well with cabbage, you know, so you see tons and tons of like German red cabbage dishes, which are delicious, by the way, I never thought I would like it, but I do. Uh, and then you can also think uh, there was something I looked up here it was really cool Four thieves vinegar, it was kind of like a mixture with like rosemary and other, you know, like a lot of people think it's like take the little thieves, like essential oil, like cough drops and things like that, or there's formulas out there. Well, this is like making that into a vinegar. And then you can like use this when you're sick. Like, so it has like during the winter, like I can put this on my, on my salad, but it has like all the things that help my respiratory track. Um, chocolate hazelnut cookies, uh, juniper berry latte, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing that I, I read. I heard that Starbucks was doing something like that once. Uh, pear crumbles. There's something called shmerika. Uh, it's a fermented juniper uh, berry drink that they have in Bosnia. And of course, most people will kind of know in America simply as like a gin um, uh, to make it into the alcohol. And again, it pairs with a lot of things, allspice, bay leaf, black pepper, caraway, marjoram, which I'm going to be talking about next week, nutmeg, onion, oregano, parsley, rosemary, sage, and thyme. And again, uh, it can be used uh, as a rub. It complements a lot of uh, meats. You know, they usually put it on like roasts and stuff like that, marinades. I like to use it more like in, in pickled vegetables, you know, sauerkraut, those kind of things like that. And also like any kind of beverages, you can also kind of use it as well uh, as an additive agent. And lastly, today, I'm going to talk about something that's completely unique. Probably most of you have not heard of this unless you've eaten uh, in a South Indian restaurant or you're from the part of India. That's the southern part. It's a really uh, local product that comes from our Konkani, uh, southern uh, region of India. And it's a great, great thing for weight loss and other benefits called kokum. Now, Kokum comes like this. It actually looks like a little berry. It's, it's actually Garcinia indica for those you know, who want to know the scientific name. We call it kokum. But when you buy it, you're going to really get it like this. It's going to be kind of like dry, like little like berry pods. And they're going to be a little bit, you don't want to get them too dried because then they kind of lose some of the, uh, the, the potency. Although that's probably how you'll get most of them here. But uh, if you go to the right kind of Asian store, you'll see it's a little bit, little bit soft, a little bit malleable. Um, and it has just like, you know, it's really bright red, but then when it's dried, it has this deep, dark, rich 
kind of purple color. And it has benefits with weight loss, indigestion, rashes, ulcers, brain health, cancer, and hydration, hydration, hydration. It's a great hydrating drink. So what I want to show you here, I'm just going to jump real quick on the hydration, uh, is something called, just I'm going to jump out of order to make this kind of stirring this up. You know, where I'm from in the South, there's this drink here. And uh, we use it a lot. So we call them kokum sarbe, uh, which is like just the kokum juice. We call it kokum juice or the sol kadi, which is like we, in the South, where we're from, uh, we actually add coconut milk into that. So it's a kind of a creamier thing. Now, they add a bunch of spices. You can Google these things and you can find uh, uh, recipes. They're slightly different, but it's really, really good at preventing dehydration. So this is something that you go in the southern region and it's like a beverage that after the meals or even on a hot day, this is something that it has this kind of, we add other spices to it, but it's, it's, a, it's a great thing at preventing uh, dehydration and also it prevents overheating. So this is where like, you know, when we're looking at food as medicine, and I think, you know, when you go back to some of the earlier lectures, I talked about certain spices also that, you know, they were taking it to keep, you know, a lot of these countries, it's either like dry as the desert or, you know, super, super hot in the summer times. And there's, these are things that, you know, we weren't using electrolyte drinks or all these kind of chemical colored things. We're looking at how do we take foods and make it medicines. And, and in India, we use it a lot for in Ayurvedic medicine for prevention of ulcers. Uh, for people that have H. pylori, which is the infection, uh, the bacteria that people get uh, in their ulcer, um, it is equivalent or better in the studies to clarithromyce, which is one of the common antibiotics of the triple antibiotic therapy that we give for. So something like, you know, you take it, you're preventing the ulcer. And more importantly, you know, where, where it got really popular, particularly in the, in the, in the 90s, uh, you know, once Americans started having supplements, uh, looking at Garcinia indica, not only in India, but also from Africa, there's other plants that kind of have that Garcinia indica aspect. It is this HCA, hydroxy citric acid, which is found in the dried rinds, and it leads to not only weight loss, but fat loss. And that was the benefit. So it's kind of something that you can drink daily, you know, and, and especially during summer or the hotness, it prevents, you know, dehydration, but it has this ability of keeping weight down and actually losing fat. So uh, it's not just a diuretic as other, the other uh, spices or herbs I mentioned before. It does have some effect, you know, in the cell cultures, it has some neuroprotective effects. So it improves the brain function. It protects the cells from damage. Uh, so something, again, like not only uh, a GI issue, but it helps um, the brain, you know, improves diarrhea and improves the GI barrier function. So when we think of like, you know, from a Western standpoint, oh, we treat leaky gut. And in my office, we have all these, you know, powders that are given nutraceuticals, you know, you know, kind of specific agents for improving the GI barrier function. But this is something that, you know, that they were treating, you know, leaky gut way before we even had this kind of term. And this is something that we now are looking back into these uh, components of certain spices that do, do it naturally. It does have an antioxidant uh, in there in the garcinols, uh, which are in the, you know, the garcinia indica, and it has stronger antioxidant than vitamin C, uh, sorry, vitamin E. So this is something, again, again, all these plants have these wonderful antioxidants and it does have some anti-cancer benefits. Look, they actually did studies in cell cultures on two dozen different pathways uh, to tumor progression. So looking at, you know, how tumors will grow and there's more than one way. That's why like there's dozens of cancer drugs and for every, you know, every couple of weeks, there's another cancer drug for another receptor for another pathway because cancer cells are met metabolic and it does lower the, you know, NF kappa beta, which does almost all the natural therapies like curcumin, boswellia, you know, all these wonderful things that I mentioned before and the JAK-STAT3, which are now we have specific you know, chemo immunotherapy agents that work on that pathway. And here's something that this has also been shown to, to do that as well. Breast, colon, prostate, liver, head and neck cancers. And there's data now they're showing uh, clinical studies synergy with curcumin, right? But this is interesting. We cook with these things together. <laughs> so it's like, I know, like we do these studies, like we put them as in pills and supplements as drugs, but we forget like when we make a curry or we make a doll, uh, we're putting all of these kind of things uh, together. And that's something that, you know, when we talk about the power of medicine, the food is medicine aspect, it is great. So I definitely want to 
everybody to go out you know, to an Asian store and try to find some kokum. Uh, now, one thing is also what I like to say, it has this deep red color. And in, in the South, since we add the coconut, it has this pink color. So for all the people who are into the Barbie and the whole little pink thing and the October was pink month and all this other stuff like that, it's a great kind of drink to have. Um, now you can add different things and you can kind of sweeten it up or if it's too spicy. But look it up, you know, Google these, these, these uh, terms. You'll find recipes uh, for that. Now, kokum, though, in the South is used in almost every single kind of dal dish, you know, which is a lentil dish, right? And if you look at like Gujarat dal or dal dokli, um, you can find, particularly the Gujarat dal, any dal recipe, probably it has about 10 ingredients, 10 to 12 ingredients that I have covered. I'll have coriander, I'll have cumin, I'll have turmeric, I'll have, you know, have some chilies in there. Uh, you know, it has uh, all these other wonderful uh, herbs and spices. So when people eat this, it's not just like one ingredient. It's like 10, 12, you know, then we're adding the onions and the ginger and, you know, and the garlic. You know, it's like, wow. So when, when we eat this almost on a regular basis, it has enough protein, has the fiber, has the phytonutrients, has all the antioxidants, but it has this wonderful blend. And so that's why when people have like a regular lentil soup in America, it's like, yeah, you're getting some protein and fiber, but you're missing all these hundreds and hundreds of anti-cancer, anti-diabetes, you know, beneficial compounds for memory, digestion, immune system, inflammation. And that's the healing powers of medicine. And when we look at people who actually live somewhat the longest, and one of the things that they didn't look at the blue zones, interesting enough, is they didn't look at the South part of India, which actually has been shown to have one of the healthiest diets, particularly when you go completely South uh, into looking at like vegan diets or vegetarian diets. It's fantastic because we eat these things on a daily basis, almost with dishes that are filled with these spices. And so that's one thing that, you know, you, you know, even Western medicine and European medicine, when they start traveling the world, there's places that they haven't even covered yet. Uh, it's just that's just the, the kind of sometimes the biasness of, of Western medicine or European history uh, being taught or even written about. Uh, Kokum com, uh, complements with a lot of things. So cardamom, chili, cinnamon, clove, cumin, curry leaf, fennel. Gal and gall, which I spoke about last time, which is kind of symbol, similar to like a ginger, garlic, lemongrass, which I'm talking about next week, uh, next time, mustard seeds, star anise, one of my favorite, and tamarind. Now, interesting thing I wanted to tell you is that that this has a flavor like tamarind. Okay, so uh, tamarind, you know, for most people in Mexico, we use a lot of tamarind, tamarindo in uh, Mexico and in Spanish cooking. And um, it has a kind of bitterness. That's why we usually kind of sweeten it up. Uh, that's why we'd like to use it at like a lot of times you'll see tamarind drinks. If you go to a Mexican, like a traditional Mexican restaurant, they have frescas that are made from tamarind. Uh, we use that sweets and, and desserts made with tamarind and then we kind of sweeten it up. It's kind of a soury, bitter um, uh, thing, but really sour. Um, but this is something that you can actually use in replacement of the tamarind. So if you have a if you have a, uh, an ingredient and you and you uh, run out of tamarind, you can kind of just swap it as a little bit of a one to one. I kind of do a little bit less than a one to one just so I can bring it up to taste. Uh, but it's something that has a very very similar uh, palate profile, and it complements a lot of things like curries, legumes lentil potatoes and vegetables so this is definitely something that i want everybody to try again so we have we had ginger we had um horseradish we had juniper berry and we have kokum uh, you know most of these people everybody knows about ginger most people have heard about horseradish but try some you know juniper berries and definitely try some kokum something completely different something new something interesting to add so i would just say get like a, uh, a doll recipe and a traditional one and try to add and you'll see the power of all the different things that are added. And again, towards the end of our series, I'll bring in some wonderful recipes just to kind of bring some of these all together. So that ends today's healing spices series, uh, ginger, horseradish, juniper, berry, and kokum. And what I'd like to just mention before we have our open Q&A is um, I want to give a shout out to uh, everyone for you know hanging on to our series here. I've been getting a lot of feedback when, we, when we're going to start up, but I also want everybody to go to sangemini.net and sign up for our newsletter because as soon as there enough, we will have, go to sangemini.net and sign up. We will have our podcast that we're launching. We're working, finishing up the final touches. We just want to give everybody a sneak peek or take back your health will be coming in. I will interview Chef AJ and we'll have her story, but this is going to allow us to get into a deep dive we're going to have uh, experts uh, in health, wellness, researchers, doctors. Uh, we're also going to have open discussion on news topics of health, and we're going to investigate drugs, supplements to a 
deeper level and even the food industry and the supplement industry and health insurance industry. Wonderful. So hopefully go to sendjevony.net, sign up for our newsletter. We'll let you know when we will launch our podcast. And that is it for today. I'm ready for the Q&A. Oh my God. Thank you. And, you know, maybe give me a clickable link. I'll put that in the show notes, you know, for people to sign up because I I try to put every episode in all your episodes. So like, you know, you you know what I mean? Like if it's this one, this one, this one, Um, do you want to stop screen share or? There we go. Yeah, I want them to see my purple hat. Yeah. After all. <laughs> okay, so you know it's so funny um, when you talk about horseradish because I'm Jewish, and you know the only time we ever ate horseradish really was when we ate gefilte fish, which was really only at Passover, right. and it used to come in the white, which was really strong, or the red, which was a little bit less strong because I think right. it had beet in it. Yeah, and I remember just as a child, it was not something I liked at all. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's a. It, you have to get to use. You know, but a lot of times they were they would use it like as strong, right? So as a kid or as anybody else, they kind of put, they used it as a condiment, but it's nice when you actually put it and blend it into the food because then it adds that little bit of a, like those people who use Asian, like if they use wasabi, for example, it has that little bit warming heating flavor. But sometimes with those people who are not used to that pungentness, then yeah, when they put it on something directly, it was kind of right in their face, slap. But it was, it's great for colds and flus. I'll tell you, like if someone's sick, I say just you know, horseradish, some of those other things, you know, have a little bit of uh, garlic, a little bit of onion and horseradish. Bam, you, you feel good. Honestly, if you just smell it, it really just it opens up your it sinus. opens up. And so I tell people like a lot of people like, oh, I can't take decongestants. I can't take nasal sprays, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just this like, yeah, you had mentioned just smell it or take a bite of it. And literally within 30 seconds, your sinus cavity will open up. Now, it's, you, might, you might have a little tearing eyes, a little like, wow, it's powerful. That's great. It's safe. No problems. You know, it's, it's a great thing to have as a like, I, I got to go on and I, I can't breathe right now. Just take that. When you talked about wasabi, I thought about a funny thing that happened once when I used to live in Southern California. I lived next door to a store called Farm Boy that made the best vegan sushi. It was cucumber avocado. And we once had a party. So we got like a presentation tray and they put the wasabi kind of like they made like these little little green balls of it, yeah. you know, so that people yeah. could could not, you know, make it easier. Yeah. So my friend Tim, apparently he'd never eaten it before. And he literally just put the whole ball in his mouth. I'm not kidding. Like steam was coming out of his ears. I mean, I've never seen, he turned bright red. He was, I mean, it wasn't that funny, but it was like, you know, we see that, we see that a lot. uh, Cause a lot of people who've been like, you know, first time going to like a Japanese restaurant or something like that. And they're having like the sushi with the ginger. Now, one of the interesting thing is, Historically, why they put wasabi, and I'm talking about real wasabi. Now, we use horseradish here in America, unfortunately, but real wasabi with the ginger, with sushi, is because the antimicrobial benefits, the antiparasitic benefits, because they're eating raw fish in general, right? So this is what something like when they're getting fresh fish or fresh, you know, say sushi, they're getting the, the fish, it's raw, they're putting it in the roll. What they were doing to combat the potential issue of the fish having some bacteria, which fish do, and microbes, which fish do, is the ginger, antibacterial aspects of the ginger, and the wasabi. So it's not just like, oh, it's it's tasty, which it is. It's actually there to have a protective medicinal benefit. Now, what happens is now, since we kind of lower that down, most of the most of the wasabi is kind of a, a lower horseradish. Now, most of them are not even really horseradish. They have other chemical ingredients. People get a lot of times uh, foodborne illness from sushi. Because we're not having that protective benefit. More, more, more reason to go plant-based, by the way, have plant-based vegan rolls, right? Which is wonderful places that do that. But just letting you know, there was a there was a they understood the risk of foodborne illness, and that was the medicine to counteract that risk or to lower the risk. Now that we've removed the real medicine from the food, then the food sometimes can have a little bit of an issue. Nice, interesting. Thank you. Live viewer named Linda says, Can ginger cause heart palpitations? Not to my knowledge, uh, there's no study showing that, that I know, but some people, you know, in our practice, we, when we test for food sensitivities, because I talk about what foods can look at inflammatory responses, there is, you know, I get about a dozen of patients every year that, you know, when we test on their sensitivity test, they come back sensitive to ginger, just like they can come up with anything from a blueberry to a kale to a sweet potato. So it's not, you know. Um, so it, if there's an inflammatory response, like a food sensitivity, then yes, uh, anything that you eat can trigger that little bit of a heart palpitation or some kind of irregularity in the body, but it's not something that directly, if you don't have a sensitivity, you shouldn't do that. Thank you. What kind of sensitivity tests do you do? So we look at two types of reactions, and this is covered in my book for those who want to, you know, an inflammation nation. Um, I'll just give a shameless plug always, but 
you know. Um, that's my specialty is looking at foods because if, if you know my story uh, about inflammation and foods, but we look at both the immediate and delayed reactions. So there's an IgE, there's an immediate reaction that can happen within an hour of you consuming a food. Now, most, most uh, conventional doctors will do that kind of testing, but they only check for like eight things. They're looking for the things that are mostly uh, anaphylactic risk, things like peanuts and shellfish and melons and things like, you know, eggs and stuff that can cause a severe reaction where you, you can't breathe. I have the peanut allergy, so I'm that, that person that they're looking for, right? I need an EpiPen, for example. But what we want to look at is that 90, 98% of the population can have an immediate reaction that's not life-threatening. It just triggers inflammation within an hour. So people can eat something, have heartburn, reflux, diarrhea, headache, back pain, you know, it's some kind of systemic inflammation that's not life-threatening. And Western medicine has ignored that. Now, on the flip side, people go to a naturopath, chiropractor, some other kind of, you know, non-MD, and then they get what they call delayed reactions, IgG reactions. We look at IgG4s. And those are delayed reactions where you can eat the food in a few hours up to four days later. So today being, say, Tuesday or Monday, is Monday, you can have something Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and today have symptoms. So it could be a few hours up to four days later after eating it. Now, the problem with the, that kind of testing is that then that's only capturing the delays of your food. It's not capturing your immediates. And we like to look at both immediate and delayed. So that's why in it being integrative, we're looking at a full panel of foods, 64 most common foods that the average person has. And we have a plant-based panel and we have the standard American diet panel for those people who still eat animal protein. And we always want to look at what's the lesser of all your evils of, or all the good things. Cause again, your body could have a problem with a, a spice or a vegetable or a fruit or a grain or legume. Thank you. Jennifer, who's watching live says when dealing with environmental allergies, can any spices heal them? Can spices heal inflammation that cause Hashimoto's? Yes, because, you know, Hashimoto's is so those kind of two things in the question, environmental allergies and Hashimoto's. So Hashimoto's is a, a thyroiditis. That's an inflammatory response of the thyroid. Um, so that's more of like a, a, something is triggering an immune reaction within the cell. So going towards an anti-inflammatory diet is important, so plant-based. But more importantly, if anybody has an autoimmune disease, especially if they are plant-based, because you still will have something in the plant world usually, because your body's not just going to say, I don't like animal protein or animal protein is just pro-inflammatory. It is. But to that patient's immune system, it can be any food. So we always like to look at the food testing in that re uh, response. Now, for the seasonal or environmental allergies, anything, all the foods that I've been talking about on the series that have anti-inflammatory effects will help reduce the environmental allergies. And that's why when people move away from uh, the animal proteins, for example, in saturated fats, and move towards a plant-based diet, their, their environmental allergies get better. But more importantly, we look at the foods. We also look at the environmental allergies because we can also treat them and that we treat them with natural, we treat them with natural therapies that have natural antihistamines. You know, all the flavonoids that people can get from foods are, are have this anti-allergy, antihistaminic effect. Uh, you can get that from foods, and we also have supplements that do that as well that are targeted for that. But the key is it's the overall reduction of inflammation from the environment and from foods. So what happens is if we do testing and someone has environmental allergies, say juniper, you know, mulberry, uh, grass, weeds, molds, cats, dogs, and then they have foods. If you remove the foods from the diet and, restore, and retrain the system, then the overall burden of inflammation will come down from the whole patient. It's a stacking effect. So a lot of times when we just focus on foods, people are like, oh my God, the grass allergy is so much better. It's like, yeah, because you're lowering the stacking effect, the body burden of total inflammation. So food and environmental go hand in hand and vice versa. We can treat the outside. Some of the food gets better. If you treat the inside, some of the outside gets better. Great. Thank you. So here's a question from Richard, who's one of your biggest fans. He actually has been contacting me. Where's Dr. Pipe? And so I texted him. He's been on the show a couple of times. And he says, where can I find galangal that you previously discussed? I haven't been able to find it in any of the Asian markets. That's where that's the only really place that you can find it. Usually it's not in the regular like Whole Foods or the regular grocery store. They'll just have ginger, galangal, you know, and if you can't really find it in the Asian markets that have the, you know, the stores, then what I would do is go to your Asian restaurant, <laughs> you know, go to your Vietnamese restaurant, for example, uh, if you have, you know, a Thai restaurant, for example, and ask because they usually will use galangal more importantly, if they're more authentic than using ginger. And they'll have it like in a tum yum and, you know, tum kum gai or those kind of soups, they will have the galangal in there. You might want to ask them where they get it. They might tell you the local supplier or the local store. Uh, these are kind of, you know, like where you live is, is really 
uh, where you get these things. So, I, you know, me in New Mexico, it's very hard to find some of these things. I sometimes have to bring it and like, go travel to California or go to the East Coast. I bring, you know, like customs, I'm not customs, but the, you know, TSA, and everybody's looking at me. I have like all these fruits and vegetables sometimes because, or I order, you know, I order from Amazon or, you know, other kind of shipping companies like, oh, I'm ordering this kind of spice because I don't have that store where when you live in a big center that has a lot of diverse people and a lot of diverse uh, grocery markets that are not just the standard ones, uh, you can get that. But thank you for watching. I appreciate it. Good question, Richard. Thanks. Yeah, that was part six where you talked about gall yeah. and gall. Okay, so uh, there's a question from Rebecca. What are your thoughts on the effectiveness of homemade fire cider? I'm not familiar with homemade fire cider, so I can't answer that question. Okay, if you want to follow up and let us know what it is. Yeah. And Linda says, how much fresh grated ginger root should I be putting in a green drink? I mean, I always look at a thumb. <laughs> I don't use like measuring tools, you know, so a thumb of ginger is pretty good. About an inch is good, you know, um, that's a good dose. And a lot of people want to do like juice a lot of it. It's like, no, you don't need a lot of it, but having it regularly is good in your diet. So not only just juicing it, but chopping it up and putting it in your, in your, in a, in a dish. And that's why like every, every type of Indian or Asian food, we're always putting, you know, gingers like in everything. Uh, but it's, it's not the, it's not the, there is certain ginger dishes where it's the forefront flavor right? But really, it's usually the back end note that's in most of the spice. It's the base of almost every dish that it's used. And that's when we use it like that. That's where you get that total health effect because you're kind of constantly having ginger throughout the, your diet versus like, I'm having ginger covered something or, you know, here's a strong ginger shot. Uh, those can be beneficial, but it's nice to just have it regularly in your diet, in your, in your uh, kitchen. Great, thanks. And here's a question from Stephanie. Are juniper berries similar in texture to goji berries? Uh, no. They're actually a little bit like firmer and they're not like a raisin. They're more like um, a berry. So it's kind of like a blueberry, but like a little prickly on it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Juniper. Let's... And just one thing that let you know that there with some patients letting you know, some people, it's not common, but some people who do have a juniper allergy to the juniper tree can have issues with the juniper berries. So that's why some people like they can drink gin and get sneezing. Uh, then those are people who are highly allergic to juniper. So it's, it's, there is like some cross reaction with the berry and the pollen. It's not common, but some people will get that a little bit like, oh, I drink that, it bothers me. And it's not the alcohol, it's, the, it's actually the, the juniper berry from the gin or from the drink, for example. Well, so they have to bring a different, different type they have of a different cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> it's not common, but you know, it is one, when I do, when I see all these patients and we do testing and we do allergies and, you know, then that's when I, you know, you pick up these small nuances of a rare thing, but you see a rare enough that that's why some people are like, Oh, it, I, I get congested every time I have that. I'm like, Oh, you might be allergic to juniper. Like what? We test them. They're off the chart for juniper. Well, not that we're trying to get them to, uh, no. Alcohol, anyway. No. But like the, you know, like you like that Bosnian drink. You know, that's actually a fermented drink. So that's like a ferment, it's like a kombucha made with the juniper, right? So there's there's different ways that you know other cultures are drinking or using it, not necessarily as an alcohol, but you know, it's part of a, a health beverage. Right. Some people are saying they've seen Galangal at Whole Foods on Amazon. Maybe Penzi's carries it. I would imagine if Penzi's carries it, it's dried though, not fresh. So. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it also depends on where you're at because it's not in my local Whole Foods. So again, it's like where you live, right? Depends on what store, what, you know, how many people are asking for those things uh, in the store. Right. But it's nice because it has a different, it does have a different flavor profile, similar, but different than the ginger itself. That's why they use it in certain soups rather than just the ginger. Nice. Uh, Richard says he loves the Bosmeric supplement. I know it's as fresh as I can smell the ginger in there. Yeah, it is the highest amount of ginger ale, 20% uh, worldwide. So it is quite pungent. Now, for those people who find it a little pungent, they can flip it over and have the yellow side on the tongue, swallow it, and then they won't have that pungency. But yeah, that's great. It's a great thing for, the, for using it as a medicinal effect of lowering inflammation. And when you, it has a synergy. So that's like when you have like a doll, for example, I mentioned, and you had like 10 ingredients. Well, with the bosmeric, we have four ingredients and they're synergistic. So each of them work together. But when you add them together, it's like one plus one equals three. You have actually a stronger enhanced benefit. So when we look at the clinical studies and we formulate, we don't have to give a lot of one ingredient. We found the right amounts and the right ratios and the delivery system to give it over eight hours sustained release to have that maximum benefits. So I appreciate it. I'm glad he likes it. 
Nice. Uh, Dixie, watching live, thank you for watching, says, what is a dose of turmeric and can you take too much? I know we're not at tea yet, but. Yeah. So, you know, again, like the thumb thing with the roots, I like that, like an inch. You know, the thing is, again, with the um, turmeric as a rhizome, again, I kind of can overexpress this. You want to get it organic because it is a heavily sprayed commodity. Um, and so um, if you're taking it as a supplement, like in Bosmeric, then we use the right form of it. It's organic. It's non-irradiated. I have a whole lecture on that when we get to turmeric and all the stuff like that. But when you get the root, it's, you, it's sprayed. So you, it's worth you know, buying it. Now, it's expensive. You'll probably be $17, $20 for a pound of you know, organic turmeric. So uh, you really want to you know, use it when you buy it and not have it go off in your refrigerator or your pantry. But um, definitely you know, a, a, th a thumb is a good dose. Right. Well, thank. This is sure a lot of fun. Are you ever going to write a book on kind of what you're doing with spices? Uh, I might. I'm actually working on the idea of a documentary film and a docu series. So that's so we'll have a documentary film, and then the docu series will take the film, and then for those people who want to learn like cooking and that, we're going to take that. You know, so here's an inflammation nation, and then we're going to go into the lifestyle of like what you talk about and what I talk about every day in I detail. I think people would love to see recipes using these. Yeah, I think I'm going to hold on to the very end. That's because you know, then then everybody kind of like, OK, I learned the spice. But now like, OK, here's a recipe of how to use the spice. Yeah. And then we'll see if we can hook up some of the cameras in the kitchen and maybe actually demonstrate a few. I'm just trying to figure out the whole camera thing. <laughs> That's just as important. Yep. Yeah. Um, Dada says, is are peppermint leaves a spice and what are the benefits? Peppermint leaves, a spice. Yeah, what's the difference between a spice and an herb? An herb and a spice. Yeah, I mean, they're similar because herbs are more of the plant leaf part of it. And spices are usually the, the seed and pod part of it. But um, peppermint would, uh, would, would be. It would be. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. The, I have to, when I get to that level, I'll, I'll cover that. What's, what is, why is saffron the most expensive spice in the world saffron is the most expensive spice in the world um because it grows in the flower and interesting thing you know i was in dubai uh in 2018 i was invited uh to go to the uh there was the international uh ayurvedic conference there that was hosted by the government of india in dubai i was invited to go and so i went with maureen and we actually went to the spice market which is unbelievable to see like just rows of spices in stores like jewelry stores of gold and then right next to that is saffron and you know and all the all the spices it's fantastic but what happens when it grows in the flower there's the two little like uh, i forget the names but like little stamens little center pieces that, you know of, of the flower and then there's four or five or, uh, around it so there's two main ones and the ones that go around it, and then the flower right and so um there's there's it women have to actually pick and who is probably picked by women in these fields, they pick the little stamens out and the two middle ones, which are the, the highest, which are the most strongest, they actually stay pretty much there, meaning in the region. So when you look at like in the Middle East, they have the best saffron and then all these other ones, the lower ones that they pick, that gets to be exported. Okay, so like the, the kings and the princes, they get the top shelf and we get the kind of the, the you know, we get the, the regular uh, well drink, we get the well thing. Now, the other uh, the interesting thing, so it's a hand pick and then it takes, you know, a lot. That's when you see it at the store. But here's the thing. You got to be really careful. Most saffron, even at the store, is adulterated or fake. So they take shavings like onion shavings, other kind of uh, plant shavings, and they color it. It is, a, it is one of the most adulterated uh, spices that you can get due to that cost. And since the average person, you know, there's easy ways to make an artificial saffron flavor, then um, it's, it's usually uh, not real, not, not real saffron, even at the, you know, even if you go to the health store, a lot of times it's not when you, when you buy it, it's expensive. It's going to be, it's the most expensive spice in the world. So when you, when, when we was, when we were in Dubai, you go to a shop, it's almost like a jewelry shop, right? And, you know, they pull it out and they measure it by statement and they have it on a digital scale. And that's how the, it's just that's how expensive it is. And then they package it up and then they ran my credit card. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's that a lot. Of, you know, you know I, I, it, but the taste, I have to tell you, is phenomenal. So right now, every time we order, we're ordering, you know, and it's coming from Middle East because like you go to, you know, most of the saffron that you get in the store is Spanish saffron, by the way. 
Nothing wrong with it. It's just not as potent. It's not as strong. Uh, and there's also adulteration even in Spanish saffron because you, know, you can get it super cheap. Even in India, it, it can be super cheap. It still gives you the flavor. Still gives, it, But when you're looking for that really strong medicinal benefit, antidepressive benefits, which there's a lot of data now on depression and saffron. There's even supplement studies now and drug studies now with depression and pain and you know all this other stuff. Fantastic, but it is very expensive. It's great. I like to make sure that people use it. And um, we really, when you have the saffron threads, that you really are kind of using a mortar and pesty and really grinding it, using a little bit of water and then taking it into the food. When people just sprinkle those little flakes, the little stamens in there, it can easily get lost. And then they're not getting that bang for the buck of the extraction of the, the wonderful smell, aroma and the compounds. Thank you. So Richard sent in a question and he said, I know that you have said that many spices don't have a long shelf life. Are there any spices that are more robust and can stay on the shelf longer without losing health benefits? I don't know the, the timing on that. In the, in the Healing Spices book, Dr. Agawal does go over how, you know, how to store the spices. But the key is, you know, what I look at is anytime you get a spice, you know, storing it in glass, not plastic bags or, you know, because a lot of times you get people get spice at the stores and, you know, they're buying in bulk. Uh, but you want to have it like an airtight sealing, uh, airtight container. So uh, um, having that, you know, dry area uh, without the sunlight on it, you know, in a pantry with, uh, you know, a solid lid on it is probably the best to keep and store it. Uh, but after, you know, I would say after a year, particularly of spices, they are going to, I mean, they'll have the flavor. But when you're really looking at the medicinal benefits, you really want to be using them regularly. And that's why I recommend people to always get spices small, you know, and there's um, also companies that we like that have like single farm organic, you know, um, you know, single source using uh, cooperatives like Diaspora. And there's other kind of brands like there that we really like to support small farming and small villages. And, you know, it's a little bit higher price, but you're actually getting a higher quality in a glass jar. Uh, and so I like those things that have a lot of um, natural benefits and also sustainability and uh, fair trade practices, et cetera. Right. Jennifer says she can't find up where to sign up for your newsletter. So if you can just shoot me an email right after this sure. with a clickable link, I'll sure. add it to all the shows that sure. you I'll pre appreciate that. Yeah, because we just we just redid our website. So I have to make yeah, sure that, that, that link is showing up. So thank you for bringing I'm surprised you don't call yourself the spice doctor. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. This, so what, what do we have to look forward to next? So next week, let me see. I think I have lemongrass. I have, uh, let me see here. I had just, I wrote it down. Are you going to have mint? Cause M is. Yeah. Mint. Lemongrass, medjerum, mint and mustard seed. Good. I love mint. It's yeah, nice. I love mint. I love, I like, I actually love all the spices. And you know, one of the things is that it's been in pleasure of when I'm going through this, you know, these, these spices, it just kind of really makes me enjoy the cooking. And it really makes me enjoy like when you eat these foods to really kind of sit there and think about the flavors and think about the health benefits and putting the intention and the love and, and, and just understanding food is medicine. And if you do it right, you can convert almost all your food to be healthier. Great. Well, thank you. This was a lot of fun and it's thank great you. to see you again. Looking, looking forward to see everybody again. And thank you very much and best of health for everyone. Oh, thank you, Dr. Pai. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in about 45 minutes. We have a bonus show today, Tim Kaufman, who used to weigh over 400 pounds. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.